for me, creativity is a way of life. It is a way of being. And it is also a way of expressing God's spirit inside of us. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Stephen Roach is a poet, musician, speaker, and creative coach. He hosts the Makers and Mystics podcast and is the founder of the Breath and the Clay Creative Arts Movement. His latest book, a collaboration with Ned Bustard, is called Naming the Animals, an Invitation to Creativity. In it, Stephen and Ned make the case that creativity isn't just a talent given to a chosen few, but an invitation extended to all, an essential part of God's design for partnership with humanity. Stephen Roach, thank you so much for being on the Habit Podcast with me today. Happy to be here. Uh, we've, I feel like we've got a lot to cover. Um, and uh, so I, I want to start with a question. Why you, this book that you that's just coming out from Square Halo Books, you call it Naming the Animals. Tell me about that. Why did you choose um, Adam's Naming of the Animals as a way to talk about what a life of creativity looks like? Sure. Of course, it comes from Genesis when God invites Adam to name the animals. And for me, this has always been a perfect example of creative collaboration with God and humanity. And it's the first time that I really see it explicitly talked about in scripture, you know, and it's just beautiful to me to imagine this uncreated creator who just stretched out the cosmos with the word of his mouth. And suddenly this little clay figurine that he breathes into and gives life is suddenly invited into his creative process. And so, you know, it just blows me away yeah. that that is the introduction to a creative humanity. And, and so naming the animals for me was just the perfect title to describe our creative partnership with God. Yeah. I love the way you talk about, uh, I mean, beyond the fact that this is a, a collaboration, which I, I think is so, maybe we'll have some some time to talk about that a little bit, a little bit further. But the idea of, of Adam coming to terms with this otherness, right? The, the looking at these animals that are, that are different from him. Um, and in some ways, you know, he probably saw some, no doubt saw some parallels with him as well, but, but just that idea of him looking out like the creative process as being um, an important part of that is looking outward at, at what is in front of us and then doing something with it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I like to point out that it involves the gift of observation as well as it involves the gift of imagination it's it's a very interactive process, you know, just to witness, you know, of course, I'm using my imagination to fill in the gaps of the story, but just seeing animals in their natural habitat and seeing the way this life uh, unfolds in front of Adam, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so many times the scripture talks about, uh, you know, comparisons to, to the divine or comparison to God as being like a dove or like a lion and I love even the scripture in Job where he says, ask the animals and they will teach you and, and begins to really just bear witness to how the created realm can really give us revelation and insight into the nature and character of God. Yeah, that's so good. And I, I don't know why I thought about this as I was, as I was reading your, your book, but I kept thinking about a story somebody told me about a, um, a, a little girl 
who got in trouble at school for painting an alligator red, uh, for, for, <laughs> for coloring the alligator red. And the teacher said, no, you got to paint that. You got to color the alligator green. And the funny thing about that is I know alligators aren't red, but you know what? They're also not green. <laughs> and, and there's, you know, our, our tendency to, um, to sort of, um, the idea that the alligator should be green, that is a, that's a case of not paying attention to what the alligator actually is. And, and when the, uh, just, you know, Adam naming the animals, he's having to look at what's there in front of him, not what he imagines. Mm -hmm. And, um, again, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't even know why that, <laughs> I can't put my finger on why that feels relevant to what, what you're yeah. talking about, but it did. Right? Well, <laughs> the, it, the, little, it, the little artist who, who, um, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, Alligators aren't red, but it's mm -hmm. but it's another it, to say that they should be painted green. Not, yeah, does that shake anything loose for you? Steve? Absolutely, it does. You know, and and it it makes me think one of something that um, Francis Schaeffer said in his book um, Art in the Bible, which we reference in this book as well. But he talks about when they were painting the pomegranates and some of the the fruit and the things in the temple that the pomegranates were actually painted a color that pomegranates really aren't. And, huh. and, and he uses that as a, as a lead in to say that there's room for abstraction even uh, in, and there's room for our involvement and our collaboration in the creative process. And uh, you know, there's, there's several examples, even in, in the scriptures, uh, Moses and the, the bronze serpent is another example mm -hmm. I often point out is that, you know, God instructed him to make this serpent, but he never told him to make it out of bronze. And, mm -hmm. and I always love just imagining that Moses collaborated in that sense and 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 added his own creative element to it. But I, I think alligators should be painted red, personally. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, all right. Well, can I can I say one more thing on that point though? I think do. I think that it really hints at one of the primary premises of the book that I have which is to highlight the absolute creative freedom that the creator has given us to express this creative gift that is inside of us. And, and I think that's one thing, especially in religious circles or in communities of faith, that sometimes we feel restricted. We mm. feel like that all of our art has to have an explicit religious theme or that it has to go by the code, so to speak. And that's just not been my experience, it, that um, creativity we keep talking about it in partnership with God, but creativity in a devotional space or as an overflow of our worship, as an expression of our worship, I think it can every bit be as devotional or devout without it um, being so restrictive to a religious theme, if that makes sense. And so yeah. I, I think that the little girl painting the alligator red is a beautiful example of that creative freedom we have. Yeah. All right, Stephen, you say that creativity is God's way to live in the world. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? Can you tell me, tell me more about that idea that creativity, I mean, that, that's, that sure is a big statement. <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? I mean, there's, there's a, creativity is God's way to live in the world. So tell me what you mean by that. Sure. Here's your chance to, if you want to, uh, you know, uh, pull back from that, that very big claim, if you're, if you're uh, so inclined. <laughs> No, I'm going to dive into it. Well, okay, we'll, all right. <laughs> um, well, you know, it's interesting, and and much of this book does come out of the first chapters of Genesis, and I and I like to say that, you know, in the beginning, God created. Those are the first five words of the Bible. Before we know of 
his love, before we know of divine law, before we see anything, scripture introduces a creative being enraptured in his creative process who just really thinks that his art is good. I mean, it, over and over, it, God said, it's good, it's good. And so then our first introduction to humanity is that we are created in God's image. And mm -hmm. so for me, creativity is not something that is set apart for the professional artist, or it's not set apart for you know my crew of musicians or visual artists or whatever, but creativity is a large part of what it means to be made in the image of God. And so when I say that creativity is a way of life, for me, that is really an expression of God's spirit inside of us. And that's mm -hmm. not limited to the realm of the arts. I think you you might most pointedly see the creative process expressed through the arts. Right. But creativity is the way that we run our businesses. It's the way that we lead our families. It's the way that we interact with the world around us. Because essentially, I see creativity as Again, using imagination, observation, all the faculties of what makes us human to create a positive change in the world. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's um, working in the realms of teaching or science or culinary arts, baking or whatever it may be, creativity is really taking the things around us and then shaping and reshaping them to further the conversation or to, to bring something there that in a sense didn't exist beforehand. So yeah. for me, creativity is a way of life. It is a way of being, and it is also a way of expressing, um, you know, God's spirit inside of us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I often say, you know, imagination is a matter of seeing a truer story than the one that's, that's, you know, immediately available to our to our eyeballs, mm -hmm. and the creativity that. is giving voice to that. You know, in mm -hmm. whatever way we have available to us, right? And yes. so the, the arts are a slice of that pie, but they aren't the pie, mm -hmm. and they probably aren't even the most important slice of the pie. I mean, I, I love that you 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 talk about George Washington Carver mm -hmm. in your book as an example of somebody who is living a truly creative life, mm -hmm. um, and. George Washington Carver may not be the first person to come to mind when we think, you know, think of a creative person. Mm -hmm. But here was a man who was looking around, you know, I think you said he he prayed to to understand the mysteries of the universe and, <laughs> and he heard back from God. <laughs> Let's just start with a peanut. <laughs> Why don't yes. you figure out the mysteries of a peanut? <laughs> exactly. And it's so, I mean, you know, and he did, right? I mean, it's, it's incredible yes. what George Washington Carver did with his commit commitment to the peanut. Right. Yeah, I, I love Carver as an example of this because within his life experience, we have brilliance and humility and mm -hmm. simplicity all working together at the same time, you know, and 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 you he would call God Mr. Creator when he would pray. And Mr. Creator, show me the the secrets of the universe and According to the writings we have, he says, uh, little man, you you can't possibly know this, but let me show you about the peanut. And then from there, he creates over 300 different patents and peanut butter and different kinds of oils and rubber and all all kinds of, you know, things that we are still using every day in our lives uh, yeah. now. <laughs> Wait, did he invent peanut butter? Did George Washington yes. Carver invent peanut butter? Yes. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Thank you, George Washington Carver. Yes, I, I should have I should have lifted up my can of Jif this morning, you know. And yeah, right. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you said what, what were the three things you said? Brilliance, humility, and simplicity. That was the third. Yes, thing you said, right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. To, let's talk about humility and creativity mm-hmm. and humility and courage and humility. And I mean, the, the, the humility, you, you spend some time talking about humility here. Yes. Um, and I, I want to hear a little more well, about this, that. In some ways, this gets into some of the more esoteric thoughts in the book for me because of the relation between humility and humus or the soil and the Mm -hmm. earth and, you know, the fact that Adam was created. This was God's chosen medium for humanity. And so I just began to think, well... If, if the soil, if the earth is, is related to humanity, let's look into that a little bit. And when I started finding that the etymology of humility goes right back to human, and it just, it just made so much sense to me. And anybody that knows me, I, I host my own podcast called mm-hmm. Makers and Mystics. And so yeah. I, I love the, some of these old starry-eyed misket, mystics. Yeah. Uh, and it, some of their thoughts are really wild and out there, but I just, I love their journey. One of them is Meister Eckert yeah. and he encouraged us to begin every day as if we are a beginner. Mm-hmm. And, and so for me, that's a posture of humility because if, if we begin as a beginner, then suddenly everything can be discovered and everything can be rediscovered. When we have humility, we, we accept that we don't know anything. Yeah. We accept that everything is a mystery to be uncovered. And I think that that is also the posture of the artist. I I think that we have to come with a sense of curiosity. And when Jesus invited us into childlikeness, I think he was inviting us into that, that way of viewing the world, that everything is full of wonder. You know, a stick is not just a stick, but it might be a sword or, you know, a bed sheet is not just a bed sheet, but it might be the gown of a princess that, you know, it's, it just lends itself to the creative process. Humility does. And so, yeah. Um, that's kind of the take that I, that I come at how I marry yeah. humility. And, and I, I think when you are, when you lack humility, you are limiting yourself to your own abilities. That's right. right. And, and, and if I am, you know, if I lack humility and I am, am prideful and, and want to prove myself, you know, prove my brilliance, well, then I'm only limited. I'm limited to my own brilliance. Right. And that's just not enough. I mean, even if I, even if I were more, much more brilliant than, than I am. Mm-hmm. It's still not enough if I'm not open to something beyond beyond myself. Yes. And I think one of the other um, passages in the section on humility that Ned and I pulled from is Jesus's parable about the different soil types. Uh-huh. And it's just interesting that hardened soil doesn't easily produce and neither do hardened hearts. And, and mm-hmm. Jesus goes on to talk about the 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 heart like the good soil that's been tilled up easily produces. And I, I think that lends itself to humility as being foundational to creativity as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. You 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 mentioned a there's a Hebrew word that now I can't put my finger on and maybe you maybe you can that is um it gets interpreted somewhere as skilled and as you point out you know, a more literal translation is something along the lines of, I don't know, open-hearted or. Yes. Do you, know what I'm, can you remember what I'm talking about? I, I may be, maybe pulling, this may be too, too much of a deep cut. I don't know. But. No, I think it's, um, uh, you did stump me on the actual Hebrew word, but I know the passage that you're talking about. I want to say it was um, 
it's not Yada, but it's it's um, yeah, it was, yeah. It, it was just like it, it, I thought it was Yoda at first. <laughs> so it's, it's something like yes, Yoda is humility and wisdom right there. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, and inverted grammar. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think the Hebrew word that you're referring to is Yada, and. That word is translated as skillful, you know, play to the Lord skillfully. I think it's Psalm 33 that talks about playing skillfully unto the Lord. And, uh, but that word skillful doesn't mean, you know, playing flashy licks on your guitar or <laughs> it, it's, it's not that type of skill, but it actually means a discerning heart. It means to be, uh, able, yeah. it, it's a certain sensitivity to what's going on around you. And that plays into you know, even when David played before Saul and, and there was a certain sensitivity with which David played with that was able to influence the environment around him. And I think, mm. again, that goes back to our conversation on humility and just carrying a sensitivity to what's needed in the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, I, I just pulled it up on my Kindle. It was 1 Samuel 16, 18. Was, was there you the, go. The, what you cited. Um, yeah, when we talk about people talk about craft in in art a lot, and um, and this is so you're talking about you're making a connection here, or the Hebrew word yada makes a connection, uh, you know, between craft, I guess you might say, and and this perceptive and discerning heart, um, which I think of as two completely different things, but. Maybe they aren't, right? I mean, you know, you exactly. You have a chapter on inspiration, and and you say basically, inspiration is not just a flash of lightning. It's it's kind of a way of life, and it's and there are ways to develop um, a sensitivity to inspiration. Yes, I think again, you know, for me, the path of the maker and the path of the mystic, they're one and the same. That interior spiritual life is intimately connected with the work of our hands. You know, the, the mm. art that mm, we make yeah. is an overflow of that interior experience. And that's why when we talk about inspiration and also contemplation is another one of the chapters that we talk about, we, we really highlight the relationship between the interior and the exterior. Or I love what John O'Donohue says. He often, he said that the invisible hungers to become visible. Oh, Man, wow. That, you oh, know. wow. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I'm writing that's, that down right now. That's right. I, I have quoted him many times, uh, having said that's one of those things I wish I had written. So, <laughs> um, but it's true. You know, it, I, I, I do think, again, inspiration is more of a discipline. And I should highlight Carrie Wallace, who's a contemporary virus. She's been on the Makers and Mystics podcast with me before. That's something she's really been diving into. I want to give credit where that's credit is due. But inspiration as a discipline, I think, is, is an important key for the creative artist because sitting around waiting for the flash of lightning is not really going to produce anything. I mean, you may get that flash of lightning, but if you wait for that flash of lightning, you're not going to create a body of work yeah. uh, large enough to sustain a lifestyle. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, you know, and, yeah. and, and so there's something about our faithfulness to show up the same way that maybe we would for devotion or for prayer or for spiritual practice. We show up to the canvas or we show up to the studio. We show up. That's our part. It's not our it's not our part, so to speak, to get the muses flowing or what however you'd want to word that. Yeah, right. Our part is to show up and to do the work. 
And I, I like to imagine inspiration getting jealous and catching up to us. Like, wait a minute, you're not going to do the work without me, you, you know? <laughs> that's and and that's, yeah. that's been the case many times. So when you say inspiration is a discipline, are you talking about anything? Is that different from, you know, the other things that, that people say about just, you know, as you said, sitting down and doing the work. I mean, is that really what you're talking about when you say that inspiration is a discipline? Think, or are, are there ways to, to, you know, other ways to to make ourselves more open to inspiration? Yes, absolutely. And that's that's part of what we talk about in the chapters on inspiration and the chapters on contemplation is that I think that inspiration ultimately is a way of seeing. Contemplation is a way of seeing the world. It's uh, one of the examples we talk about in the book is Moses and the burning bush. And we highlight that in particular because you have to think Moses lived on the back 40 of the desert. That's the way we mm -hmm. would say it here in North Carolina, the back 40. He mm -hmm. lived way out in the middle of nowhere in the desert. He saw bushes catch fire all the time. The fact that this bush was on fire was nothing out of the ordinary. Matter of fact, it may have been one of the most ordinary things that Moses could have seen in the desert. But there was something in the sensitivity of his heart that recognized something different about this bush on fire. Mm. And, and when it says Moses turned aside to see, and that's the pivotal gesture right there. That's, that's mm. the act that makes yeah. the difference. When he turned aside to see, then he recognized the voice of God in it. He found the calling for his life and ended up liberating an entire nation of slaves because of that, that one act of turning to see that there was something different about this. So when I say that inspiration is um, a, a way of life, yes, I do believe it's something that can be cultivated. And I do think it's, it's a matter of how we posture ourselves in life. You know, so yeah. often our expectation plays a large role in what we experience, you know, um, uh, you know, that I think we talked about even uh, Cezanne and Van Gogh and some of these artists that they found inspiration in a chair or a bowl of fruit or these yeah. very common things. I mean, yeah. who would think to paint those? You know, you look at it, you maybe you pick up the apple and eat it and you move on with your day. But these artists, had cultivated a way of seeing that they they saw shape, they saw color, they saw light, they saw shadow, they yeah. saw something supernatural, if you will, something spiritual yeah. within the commonplace. And I think that's that's what I mean when I say inspiration can be a discipline. Mm, yeah, yeah. The lion can't see a gazelle as beautiful. He can only see it as delicious <laughs> or fast or, or you know, you know, hard that's to right. catch. But it, but he can't really come to terms with the fact that it's also beautiful. Yes. And, and I think there's so often we uh, can, can fall into a tendency to see the things of the world as pragmatic or, or how they, you know, how they're going to benefit me or how they're going to be a challenge to me rather than slowing down. As, I mean, I love that idea of, of, mm -hmm. of uh, noticing that the, that the bush is not being consumed. Mm -hmm. uh. And I think that that's really the bridge that I see the artist providing between our material perceptions and then our spiritual perception. Yeah. Because when you think of beauty and we talk about beauty in the book quite a bit and, you know, beauty and art in general, if you, it's not very practical, it's not pragmatic. Yeah. You, you can't eat the painting of the bowl of fruit, yeah. but, but it does something else for you. And, and I talk about the scripture in Genesis again, where it says, you know, the trees in the garden were both for beauty and for food. 
And that's always hit me that the two are connected. You know, what food is to the body, beauty is to the spirit. Yeah. And, and that's why I think that creativity goes beyond just the realm of the arts, but it's something that we each need for a healthy humanity, for a healthy life, you know, and uh, Dorothy Day, I think she would, and, and different people, not just her, but many people have cited how architecture and the colors of the walls or the paintings that you have in a room, the shapes and the environment, the music that you play, all of these things contribute to the mood of the person there. And when people have worked with uh, underprivileged or people in uh, art therapy or in tra traumatic situations, the arts and creativity play a role in, in healing. And so I, mm. I think for me, again, that's, that's where this, this, the ideas in naming the animals goes beyond the artist to include all of humanity. Yeah. In, in Genesis, it says that the trees were good for beauty and food. Beauty comes first before food in it, the phrasing. It, it does come first. Yes. I've absolutely. never paid one lick of attention to that. That's yes. really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, the I, I want to talk about courage because that's another thing you talk about in this book. Um, so, what's the, tell me about the role? What, what's the role of courage in in creativity? I think for me, courage is what takes the invisible to the visible, or courage is what takes something from the realm of the idea to the realm of an actual product mm -hmm. or an actual, you know, painting or song or whatever. And courage, it's, it's always connected to action. You know, what, what good is courage if you just have it inside of yourself, but yeah. courage always leads to action. And you'll learn about me. I love digging around in the roots of words and where they come mm -hmm. from. And courage comes from the root, uh, coeur from the French, which means heart. Yeah. And so courage is really to act from the heart. It's to, and so it's an act of truth to act in courage. And I think that courage is also something that it, it's a very creative act because courage implies design to, it, it implies intentionality. If, if uh -huh. you're going to act in courage, you are proactive. You're not waiting for inspiration to come to you again. You're not waiting for life to happen to you, but courage is, is to act. And, um, and I think in order for us, and again, part of my hope through this book is that the artist and particularly the artist of faith would find the courage and find the freedom to explore some of these crazy ideas that maybe God planted in us, but they're so far out there. They don't have a prototype. We don't have anybody else that we can point to and say, okay, see this, this person did it. So I'm okay. But mm -hmm. there are ideas inside of us that I think maybe are really new and inventive in, in, in a lot of ways. And without courage, we may not feel the freedom to explore those. So I think courage really is the linchpin uh, of this whole book, yeah. uh, of, of, this oh, wow. whole, of this whole idea of, you know, taking, taking some of the stranger ideas or the abstract ideas mm -hmm. and, and really knowing, wow, we, this this creator has given me such creative liberty to in partnership with God to explore some of these ideas. And, you know, we forget that the, these crazy 
prophets of the old covenant writings to me they were the first performance artists man they were <laughs> yeah. they were doing some yeah. weird stuff that yeah. had had no biblical precedence and i know that we might be getting into something we don't have a lot of time to unpack <laughs> on this podcast there but these guys did not have a lot of of prototypes or examples for the things that they were doing yeah wow that's a great point you know, and, and so I just, I want to see the artist of faith find that same freedom in partnership with God yeah. to create some wild stuff, to ask God to tell him about the peanut or whatever it is that, <laughs> that that's well, for us. As you say, with, without courage, we're only potential. Yes. You know, and, and, you know, I, I can have all kinds of big ideas, but it's there's no courage in having big ideas. It's, right, it takes courage to to translate those. And I, and I love what you said. You quote Walter Brueggemann, and I, I think that I love his idea that the the prophets, the the practicality of their ideas never enters in. Um, but it's practical. I'm sure I'm, I'm not sure I'm using the, the right the right word. Um, mm-hmm. or doesn't uh, the prophet doesn't think about whether a vision can be implemented. Right. Because, and, and I love this insight, implementation is of no consequence until the vision can be imagined. That's right. That's right. And, and it takes courage to follow that vision to completion. And, and yeah. from there, the work is done in a sense, you know, and again, that, mm-hmm. that goes into uh, the courage to create and the courage to bring forth what, what's in your heart. What's, what's yeah. there. Yeah. As and Brueggemann says, we, uh, in the Western world, we can implement anything. It's the vision that that we need exactly. to to work on. Exactly. Hey, by the way, Stephen, you you keep using the word "we" and talking about this book. That's right. I neglected to mention that that Ned Bustard worked on this book with you, and and he did some great, yes, some great uh, images. Uh, there's one very memorable one that involves peanuts, um, <laughs> and um, and. Was Ned involved more than the than the uh, illustrations? Yes, absolutely. Ned corrected That's what all you call of a my question. Ned corrected all of my whacked out theology. And, oh, good. Uh, <laughs> no, Ned uh, really helped bring shape and order uh, to the writing and and to these ideas. And Ned and I had worked together. I, I host a yearly creative arts gathering called the Breath and the Clay, mm-hmm. and uh, Siva. Um, and uh, Ned came down and partnered with us for several years. And that's where I met, I met Ned. And uh, I pitched the book to him. I said, I've got this book I really want to do, uh, Naming the Animals. And, uh, and he really enjoyed it. And we began working on it together. And uh, he really helped bring order and structure and really shored up a lot of the ideas mm-hmm. that, that I had in it, as well as he contributed the design to the book. Uh-huh. So it was definitely yeah. a collaborative effort. Excellent. Well, Ned's, Ned's all right, if you ask me. <laughs> um, okay, so we're running out of time. I need to ask you, though, who are the writers who make you want to write? Mm-hmm. That's very that's a very good question, and you're looking at all of my books here behind mm-hmm. me, so this question might take us a while if I don't pick a couple. But uh, mm-hmm. the ones, of course, that come to mind immediately for me is I, I do love Thomas Merton. Mm. And uh, yeah. Thomas Merton's New Seeds of Contemplation is a book that I've returned to yearly. And it's not only because of the content of what he says, but the way he says it. And many people don't know that Merton was a poet and a visual artist before he huh. became, you know, the the writer that everybody knows. Yeah. Um, I also love the poet uh, Rainer Maria Rilke. I read uh-huh. Rilke, uh, Rilke's yeah. Love Poems to God. That's another one that I return to. <laughs> 
But then some other writers that are outside the realm of faith would be Rebecca Solnit. She wrote a book called A Field Guide to Getting Lost that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, Tell me about that book. I don't know that book. It's it's part memoir, but it's also part creative process. You know, um, it's just seven, I think it's about maybe eight or nine chapters just about uh, the creative benefit of getting lost, <laughs> yeah. of, of navigating. So that's that's one that I love a lot. Thomas Merton, Rilke, and then, of course, Rebecca Solnit. Um, but I, I do read a lot of the old mystics. I don't always agree with their theology. Those guys are pretty wild, but I, I do read Meister Eckert and a uh-huh. lot, um, a lot of the older mystics as well. And, and you, you read the mystics and what happens? I think that I'm really glad I didn't live in the 13th century. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, except this past year, I kind of identify with them yeah, in right. a brand new way, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but they just had the thing that I love about reading the mystics and it, is that they weren't satisfied knowing about God. They actually wanted to go out into the desert and experience God. Mm. And, and they lived in such a way that they, they weren't, divorced from culture. They were very much involved in culture and very much mm-hmm. involved in in all of public life. But then they also had this sanctuary away from everything where they could connect. And, and I think that's why I identify with, with the historical mystics is yeah. that connection to culture, but then that all that also that set apartness to God. Yeah. Well, great. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for for taking this time with me. This has been a lot of fun. Wonderful. uh, Thank you for having me. I hope a lot of people read this book because I I really uh, got a lot out of reading it. Wonderful. Thanks so much. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate. Special thanks as well to Taylor Linhart for letting us use her song Diamonds as the theme music for season three of the Habit Podcast. You can learn more about Taylor and follow her work at taylorlinhart.com. The Habit membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co.